Pastor John read to you from the book of Hebrews, and uh, the book of Hebrews is an excellent way to sort of get an insight into the practices of the Old Testament. Hebrews 5, 1 through 4, the writer of the Hebrews, uh, letter to the Hebrews, which is a, a church made up of Jewish believers in the New Testament. Uh, the writer writes this, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Joshua has to make sacrifice for his sins. That's the sign that is referred to here in Zechariah 4. This is the practice. This is their obligation. This is significant because they had to keep making sacrifice, first for their sins, then for the sins of the people, not just on the Day of Atonement, but every day. It points, does this prophecy, this vision, it points to the need for a new high priest. One who is both blameless and sinless. One who does not have to offer sacrifice for his sins. One who is called not as was Aaron, but was sent from God. One who arises, if you will, not from the priestly tribe of Levi, as did Aaron and all subsequent priests and high priests, but according to another order. An order that has a very funny sounding name. Not Zerubbabel, that's a different name. Melchizedek. Now, who is Melchizedek? Well, if you know anything about the Old Testament, maybe you don't, that's fine. We first meet this Melchizedek character in Genesis 14. He appears as if out of nowhere. Abraham has just been victorious in battle. And he is uh, sitting there, sort of looking at the spoils of war, and then suddenly... From out of the midst of history comes this being, this man, this Melchizedek, who brings Abraham wine and bread. Wine and bread. <laughs> that ring a bell. <laughs> then we don't hear from him ever again until he's mentioned in Psalm 110. And it's not until the New Testament in the seventh chapter of the letter to the Hebrews that we get the full explanation of the seriousness and the, the meaning of this fellow Melchizedek, who, as we're told, is the king of Salem, priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, says the writer of the Hebrews, his name means king of righteousness, Zedek. Then also king of Salem, because he is from Jerusalem. He is without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. The ministry of Melchizedek in Genesis anticipates the ministry of Jesus Christ as our great high priest, who arises not from the tribe of Levi, 
but from the tribe of Judah, but is appointed by God according to the order of Melchizedek because Jesus is sinless and he is blameless. He is a servant whom the Lord will send to remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. He is the promised branch, the servant priest, who as he arises from this order of Melchizedek is also the servant king from the Lion of Judah, the one who will trace his human descent from the throne of David. He is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is the promised branch of Jeremiah 23.5 and 33.15, where the prophet there, the Lord through the prophet, promises to raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. A righteous branch will sprout from David's line. He will do what is right and just in the land. This is also the promised branch that we read in Isaiah 11.1, where the prophet there says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. You understand that in, not only in Zedekiah's day, but certainly by the day that Jesus arrives, is born, both the, king, the kingly line and the priestly line were in bad shape. But there was no king, if you will, in Israel when Jesus is born. And the priests were as corrupt as they had ever been. The kings were as guilty of sin as were the priests. So you need to have someone come who is born blameless and sinless, both as king and priest. And that's what the Lord does in sending this branch, a new thing. He will raise up a branch from the stump of Jesse. David's house is reduced to a stump. What can come from a stump? This little shoot that grows and then emerges and spreads its branches to encompass all those who would trust in that branch. And he produces fruit, does this branch. What kind of fruit? People. People like Joshua who are justified by grace through faith and then sanctified to live a holy life. People like me and you, who also are justified by grace through faith and then sanctified to live a holy life. When we celebrate Advent, we understand that we celebrate, a, if you will, a double event. We, we celebrate, it's just like when we celebrate communion. At Advent, we celebrate the fact that Christ has come. But we can also sing as we have, O come, O come, Emmanuel, come again, because we're looking forward to the second coming of Christ. When what has begun by his first coming will be consummated by his second. And so that we will see that, that, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that appears in the Garden of Eden in Genesis is now the tree of life from whom all may feast in Revelation. All from this branch that grows from a stump, who is both king and priest, blameless and sinless, under whose shade and in his grace we also are blameless. 
and sinless because of his work. It's what the writer of the Hebrews, and I've, this is one of my favorite texts, and I, you probably have gotten tired of me sharing it, but I'll say it again. Hebrews 1, 3, and 4. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. We are among those all things. So when you feel as if your world is falling apart, when your mind is breaking and your heart is, uh, is just torn in pieces, Christ is sustaining you in that moment. He is holding you together because you are part of the all things that he is holding together by the power of his word. It's like we sung in the hymn, Arise, my soul, arise. Right? Forgive, forgive, and not let that guilty sinner die. That's what's happening at that moment. And after Christ had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. How is he able to hold us together? Because he sat down as high priest. Because under the sacrificial system, under the old covenant, the high priest never sat down. There was always another sacrifice to make. Always another sin to atone for. The need for sacrifice never stopped. But when Jesus offers himself as the ultimate and final sacrifice, as he's hanging there on a cross, what does he say? Before he gives up his spirit. Three words that have forever changed our destiny. It is finished. And he gave up his ghost. He sat down. No more sacrifice. Joshua, you and your friends are a sign that points to the one who will come and make an end of everything that you have to do. Some of you are working very hard. And God bless you for it. You're working hard to provide for your families. You're working hard to build a life. You're working hard to make a name for yourself. You're working hard. And some of you are working even harder at getting God to love you. Getting God to keep you on his good side. And Jesus says, stop. I sat down. Grace makes you acceptable in my sight. It makes you worthy. It makes you blameless. It makes you righteous. It makes you justified. It makes you holy. Whatever those voices are, those accusations that the enemy would level, whatever those voices are from your past, whatever those things are saying to you about how unworthy, how unlovely, how ugly you are, how unacceptable you are, like Luther told Satan, right underneath them, the blood of Christ has washed them away and has quieted them forever. You put them on mute. I got a gift, a wonderful gift for my birthday. I had noise-canceling headphones. And I turned that button on, and the music, the little sound, and then all I can hear is my own breathing. It's kind of weird but it's lovely. 
get a mute button. Put on those noise-canceling headphones that are the work of the spirit of grace and mercy so that the only thing that you're hearing is of the voice of the spirit telling you, he sat down, he holds you, he's forgiven you, he has made you holy and is making you holy. And the process of working through ignoring all of those voices is part of that process of being made holy. Part of that reminder. They may never stop. But the word of God endures forever, as does the work. And as loud as they get, the voice of Christ speaks even louder still. But wait, there's more. <laughs> because in addition to making atonement for sin... Jesus has a branch of something else which is symbolized by that stone that is placed on Joshua's head. Remember, when the high priest, his vestments, he had all those beautiful vestments, he had the turban. And right here, on the center of his forehead, was a plate, a stone, on which was written, Holy to the Lord. So a stone is placed on Joshua's head, this turban. It has seven eyes or seven facets, like a, like a diamond or a jewel. And there are several interpretations as to what is meant by this. The, the, the best, the one that makes the most sense to me as I've read them is simply this. It points to something that the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, where he writes in verses one, uh, 13 to 14 of chapter 1, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And then again in Ephesians 4.30, Paul writes, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And again in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his then everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Justification, sanctification. Right? The Lord knows who are his. So turn from wickedness. The way it is, live this way. To be sealed with the Holy Spirit is to bear the stamp of God's ownership. We belong to him. If you've ever seen the movie Toy Story, right? What does Andy do? on the bottom of Woody's boot, right? The very childish printing, Andy. And when in Toy Story 2, when he is about to be sold to the toy guy in Japan, right, he, he wipes off the boot and there's Andy's name. God has stamped his name on us by stamping us and sealing us with his spirit. Sorry for the sound, guys. <laughs> it's a little passionate there, right? So in Zechariah, this ceiling is, is represented by the stone, the Holy Spirit, God's ownership. It's the guarantee of Joshua's inheritance as well as ours. And those seven facets represent the sevenfold vigilance of the Spirit, that he'll protect Joshua. He'll protect us, will the Spirit, from all future attacks from Satan. The stone. Your revelation, right? What are the believers given? 
a white stone with a name on it that is known only to God. That's the inheritance that we have. Him, precious and dear. Brand, plucked from the fire. We belong to him and we are forever forgiven in him. And the vision ends with this promise of future peace and prosperity. Everybody sitting under their own vine and fig tree, just enjoying peace and tranquility. The harvest is in, the wine has been made, the feast has been served, and now you're sitting there, as some of you maybe did after your holiday meal, and you're enjoying a toast. You're enjoying the, the festivities around you. You're relaxing. Why? Because you've eaten well and you're at peace. And that's the promise that is held here. And we've been reading the past several weeks from the New City Catechism. And the, the New City Catechism is a wonderful way to understand the, the elements, the basics of our faith. The catechism itself is really a, an ad, adaptation of three catechisms, the very historic Reformation catechisms, the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechism, Calvin's Geneva Catechism, and the Heidelberg Catechism. We read the shortened version, question one, a couple of weeks ago, which is adapted from the Heidelberg Catechism, question one, answer one. It's an abbreviated question and answer. The full text of the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism <clears throat> I'm going to try to read it, and I think I'll try to keep from choking up because the beauty of the words in this answer just even more vividly portray, portray what's happening in this fourth vision of Zechariah. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? Here's the answer. That I am not my own but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He alone preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation." Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Beloved of Christ, if you're going to memorize something in 2022, certainly memorize scripture, but memorize this question and answer, that we belong body and soul both in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who by His Holy Spirit assures us of eternal life and makes us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him and quite possibly die for Him. The grace of God motivates us to keep His commands. And every command of God comes with a promise. And grace, the promise fulfilled, is that he sent his son to take away our iniquity in a single day, forever. You think about that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we once again say you are worthy. 
And Father, to you we say thank you for sending us your Son. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us now continually live lives of faithfulness to our God and our Father, to our God and our Savior. For this we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.